Paulson, you and I uh, have a very historic player that we have in both of our teams here. <sighs> who is it, Je- Anson? Jeffrey. I almost called him Jeffrey, but who is it, Anson? I just ripped the Band-Aid off and get this over with. Uh, he's so good that he doesn't play for either of our teams anymore. It's uh, Mr. Jonathan Quick. He was involved in that deal that went that uh, you guys traded quick. I believe a first rounder in exchange for Gavrikov and Corpusalo. Okay, is it controversial that I understand why we did it? It is a. It hurts me to see that happen, deal, but I also understand why they did the deal. A thousand percent. It's it was kind of like the salary that had to go back. Like it was very savage. Don't get me wrong. It was a very savage move they did. Just a you know very cutthroat, very analytical move. It didn't make sense, so we just had to get rid of it. Like realistically, if you look at the stats, probably isn't a NHL goalie. At this point, no. But as we're recording this, he also had a shutout for the Knights last night. So I think he's fueled by the uh, trade. At the end of the day, I've always felt that Jonathan Quick is most effective when he's motivated. And I feel like in this case, he's pretty motivated to, you know, screw the Kings. <laughs> Which, I mean... I obviously want the Kings to to win the Cup, but I'm not completely hurt by the idea of John the Quick winning another Cup. I'm not going to say I'm happy with the idea of the Golden Knights winning the Cup because that hurts me even more to say, but John the Quick won the Cup. I'm not against it, even though I know the clowning that will go on will be all time. Uh, some might stay uh, historic, actually. Yeah. Yeah, I would. Well, I mean, the Golden Knights uh, are going to play the Kings April 6th in a game that could potentially decide the division titles. So that seems like a game that you got to circle on your calendar there, Olsen. And given that you say, you know, Quick is a guy that's easily motivated and plays his best when he's motivated, I could probably predict a shutout that night for uh, Jonathan Quick and the Knights there. Honestly, would not even feel bad. I would, I would applaud that. I'd be a-okay. You know what? As long as the Kings make the playoffs, and it looks like it's pretty likely that they make the playoffs, anything can happen, right? At the end of the day, if there's a single person who would say that, it would be a Kings fan. Yeah, I mean, I, it's, it's fairly clear, I think, in the... West right now, like there's eight teams that are pretty much in the playoffs who are just jockeying for positions. And realistically, we're looking at the Preds and the Flames as really far outside chances of making the playoffs. So I know I, I clowned on your Kings earlier in the season saying that, you know, they might not make the playoffs, but, you know, the rest of the West has been pretty shit this uh, last couple of months. And uh, it's kind of helped out the Kings there a little bit. I will take any help we can get. It just sounds like. Uh... You guys don't suck. The rest of the conference sucked. Or you guys weren't good. The rest of the conference sucked. 
I mean, that's one way of looking at it. If you're going to be a negative Nancy about it, that's the way you're going to look at it. Yeah. But that's not how I'm looking at it. I'm looking at the Kings from the greatest team ever. But it, it must suck, though. Like, I think if you're Rob Blake, right, you're, when you're trading away Jonathan Quick, you're really hoping that even if he does get flipped, he doesn't get flipped to a Pacific Division, like, opponent. And, then, of course, it has to be the Knights, too, right? Like, like what... What was this like the worst team that Quick could play for that would, you know, ruin everything for his legacy as a, a king? Or like it would have to be the Golden Knights, right? Like given that they kind of have a little, little bit of a rivalry there, like as like the worst team that he could be reflipped to, I think. Okay, but I don't know if you guys remember this. This has happened before. Do you remember a, a young L.A. Kings prospect named Martin Jones. Yes, I, I do remember this. He was traded to the Boston Bruins, along with Colin Miller in a first-round pick, which ended up being Jakub Zaboral, in exchange for Milan Lucic. And then just four days later, they trade him away for Sean Corrali and a 2016 first-round pick to the San Jose Sharks. I would say... That is a more impactful trade, even though this one hurts more. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, no, it does. It, it just sounds like if you're the Kings, don't trade away your goalies because there's a good chance that they're going to end up back in your division within the next couple of days. I mean, that's not fair. I mean, like at the end of the day, it's, it's not something the Kings knew, right? Once, but at the same time, it's once you make the trade that's, you know, it's not, not your business anymore. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I I agree with you. And in the end, I think every time they've traded their goalie, like they've gotten the return that they wanted, right? Like they wanted Lucic when they traded Jones to Boston. I mean, I think in that case, like they knew Quick was their goalie, right? So they had to move on from Jones and they need to get some assets back. And same with Quick, right? Like the reason they need to get rid of him is that they needed the cap space, adding guys like Gavrikov and Corpusalo. And Gavrikov and Corpusalo are going to do more for the Kings for their playoff push this season than what Jonathan Quick was going to do for them. So uh, I think it's a trade that works out for both teams. And it's, again, like I said, it's one that hurts, but you understand it. So are you saying now all we need is Jonathan Quick to be traded to uh, the Habs and the offseason, and then we'll have a guy that's played for all three of our teams? It just sounds like you're just jealous and you just want to be part of it. Maybe it is. So like realistically, I think for, for the grand scheme, I think you take out the names and look at like strictly as a salary it makes sense it makes perfect sense it just sucks because it had to be Jonathan Quick yeah if you just look at it as like a numbers thing right if you just look at the don't attach names don't attach legacies don't attach anything just as a straight numbers a straight stats trade I think you look at it and go okay yeah that's not the worst thing I've seen in a long time like this makes sense, but then you add the names, and it's like, oh shit, you're trading this guy. That's what happened. Yeah, agreed. Well, it was a really busy. I don't know. I remember also we both said like, was this trade deadline gonna be like a really busy one? Was it really gonna be a not busy one because so many trades happened before? I mean, I feel like we caught a little bit of both. Like, it was a busy trade deadline, but not a lot of big names moved after our last episode. And 
you know, it's hard. You know, every year we normally re- re- we recap every single trade, but I think this year we're going to have to tone it down a little bit. Maybe we'll just go through the teams that we thought did well at the trade deadline, maybe some of the teams that did not so well. Does everyone agree with that? Uh, so I think for me it's going to be a little bit different, but we'll still follow that team. And you'll understand what I mean when we get there. All right, let's start the show proper first then. You're listening to the Bag of Pucks podcast, part of the National Podcast Network. And we are back. Um, let's start with the some of the losers. I, I feel like that's always the easiest way of doing any of these winner losers like uh, episodes because it's always cl- really clear to see who the losers are. And I think we have to go with the very first one that. I think everyone recognizes the loser, the Philadelphia Flyers. I mean, the fact that they cut ties with their GM like a week after is a clear sign that not only do we on the Bag of Pucks podcast think that they're losers, but the Flyers management also thinks that Chuck Fletcher was a loser and screwed over the Flyers. I think everyone can agree the Flyers were a loser at the trade deadline. So what were the last trades that Chuck Fletcher did? He traded away Patrick Brown to the Sens for a six. I think he got uh, he traded Zach McEwen for Brendan Lemieux in a pick, like a not really high pick, to the Kings. And I think he traded Isaac Ratcliffe to the Preds for like future considerations or something. So yeah, I, I see it's a loser, but I think a lot of the bad decisions he's made he he's made a long time ago. You mean signing wise? Um, signing and trades, right? The two that will always stand out, right? Which for better or for worse, it'd be Anthony D'Angelo and a seventh for twenty twenty fourth, twenty twenty second fourth, twenty twenty third third, and a twenty twenty fourth second. And the other one would be I'm gonna actually not look at the Claude Giroux or Jakob Borchardt trades, the got a spare, a second, and a seventh for future considerations, and the uh, Rasmus was the line deal. Which, I, to be fair, I think is unfair to at least consider the Rasmus was the line deal. It was a very bad trade, but it was also a while ago, right? But he also doubled down on that, and that was like a him choice. I would argue, did he have a choice but to double down on that? Could have let him walk. Not after putting in all that, all those. Not pu- after putting all that into it. You know what I mean? I exactly. That's the issue. He gave him so much, and you can't let him walk away after that. Once you commit to a move like that, you're just like, well, I guess I'm stuck doing this. But that's his fault. But that's that's like a Fletcher fault. That's not like a anyone else's fault. Then. Fair. Would you count the Ellis one as well? Jog my memory. What was the Ellis trade? Uh. The Flyers acquired Ryan Ellis for Philip Myers, Nolan Patrick. Yeah, that's bad. <laughs> that's, that's bad. But Ryan Ellis has been injured for like his entire Flyer career, basically. So, I mean, I think that's just like one example there where it's maybe it's not Chuck Fletcher's fault. Like a lot, like you said, not let's not consider the Yakov Vorchuk, Cam Atkinson injury, right? Like. 
Cam Atkinson's been out for the entire season. Jakob Vortrek's been out for the entire season. It's kind of hard to really, like, grade that deal. Ryan Ellis has been out for, you know, ever, since ever since he's arrived in Philly. Like, realistically, I wouldn't say, like, he's done... Like, if you look at every single deal, like, separate, like, in a vacuum, they're not awful, but it's just that, you know... He doesn't look at what he has and just makes deals and th- and makes like just makes deals that don't have the right context, right? Like with the whole Ant- uh, Tony D'Angelo thing, right? Like they did not need to trade that much just for his signing rights, right? Like for the team that where they were at that point, they didn't need a Tony D'Angelo, so they could use those assets better. Um, with the Ryan Ellis and Cam Atkinson deals, it's just injuries have screwed them over. Um, the Claude Giroux thing, they didn't have much of a choice in that deal either. But if you were Chuck Fletcher and as a general manager, you're supposed to look at the entire team, you need to recognize, okay, this team isn't going anywhere. I need to do something about it instead of just, like you said, doubling down on every single deal. How much of this is him not understanding how the game has changed. I think if you look at this in, again, look at the type of player he's he's picking up. Let's say you put the time machine 10, 15 years, right? A guy like Anthony D'Angelo, I think is more valuable minus 10, 15 years ago. Player like Cam Atkinson, Rasmus Ristolainen is a very good example. Ryan Ellis. Is it maybe that? Like, the game's kind of passed by without him. And I think we see that a little bit with, starting to see it at least, with uh, Lou, where the players he picks up would have been very effective 10, 15 years ago. Well, wasn't there that whole situation where they were saying, like, Chuck, the way Chuck Fletcher grades his trades is using some app, and he doesn't actually, like, you know, maybe that maybe it's that app that he uses is you know old and okay. Fun. But I would say that's funny, but that's not actually like relevant. You know what I mean? Because like that app, like what is that app? That app could be something super revolutionary that we just don't know, or it could be the the notes app on his phone. You know what I mean? It could literally be anything. It's kind of like it's it's hilarious. I get it, but I it's without seeing it, it's hard to judge. Yeah, it's like saying, well, the Arizona Coyotes, they do that too. Their app is the calculator, which whatever one has a higher number at the end of how much money they save, that's the deal they do. Like, It's funny, but not particularly relevant. Yeah, I mean, I think, the, I think if you're the Philadelphia Flyers, right, you kind of have this culture that you need to bring in these heavy, hardworking guys. And I think if you're Chuck Fletcher, you kind of got enveloped into that culture and like the way you're making deals and stuff. And I don't know, they, they just never seem to have really made much progress. I found like all these deals, like, like you said, yeah, maybe the, like five, 10 years ago, these are the types of guys that you would want on your team because that's how hockey was played. But given that, you know, speed is such a much more important part of the game now, and being able to defend in transition and 
play offense in transition. I feel like the guys that the Flyers are picking up are not those guys anymore. And maybe that's why they've been kind of struggling the last couple of years. And I don't know, like they've got some decent young guys, but for some reason they've also never been able to make the breakthrough either. And really like this, like I, I look back and I think at this trade deadline, right? The fact that they did so little, and I think obviously the big piece was, you know, JVR not being moved when he was like a clear candidate as a rental. Like maybe they like that's kind of last straw. Like if you look at the Flyers roster, realistically, they couldn't have done that much at the trade deadline. But I think when you're looking at overall, right? Like what Chuck Fletcher has done in his what three years, four years with the Flyers. Like, he had an opportunity to do something, and he didn't do it. And I think that was kind of like the final straw for Flyers management. So, do the Flyers keep where they are right now in the sense of their mindset? Or do they change it once they've brought in their new GM in Daniel Briere? I wonder if we see some more smaller skill guys. Compared to, you know, the big, you know, everyone's, you know, a large, large lad who can hit and play hard. Like, I think we're going to see a little bit more, like, guys who don't aren't just feisty, right? Like, you look at, like, guys that they've, like, brought in, like, Joel Farabee, Travis Konechny. I think those guys, they're fine. Um, but maybe we'll see, like, I think we'll see a bit more skill, less, you know, Braun, I would say. I don't know. It, it's hard to say. Like Danny Breer being one of the more like productive, smaller guys, who's you know he still had a little bit of some feistiness in him. But I think maybe it's not only going to be about like being broad street bullies anymore. I think we're going to see a more a more evolved form of the style of hockey that we should be seeing in the NHL right now. Anson, I was going to jump in and say I, I think he had his like press conference or something earlier today or yesterday, he kind of mentioned uh, it's not going to be a quick turnaround. And I think that's, well, like as Jeffrey said, that's where they kind of fucked up in the first place, where Fletcher tried doing a quick turnaround, hence we saw the trades and signings that he did. And now the Flyers are in this hole that they're literally neither top nor bottom. Well, more towards the bottom, but you're stuck there. You're kind of like the Eastern Conference Sharks, where you're kind of stuck there. With uh, you can't really go anywhere for the next few years. You're just stuck with the with the crew that you have, and you gotta work your way around it. So, with all that being said, right? There was one team I, I had first thought of, and I don't know if it's fair that I thought of them. I thought of the Minnesota Wild. We're kind of really in a bind. Can't really do much about it. And, well, the one thing they do have different is that they have some cap space for next year, right? Minnesota Wild, as we know, kind of stuck because of some bad decisions. Is that a fair comparison? Or are we looking at, let's say, like the San Jose Sharks as a good comparison? Like, in, in my opinion, I, I wouldn't even call the Flyers, like the Sharks. Like, if we look at this Flyers, like, they're cap-friendly, right? Realistically, I would say they only have two bad contracts. 
Like, if you look at the Sharks, they've got a lot of bad contracts. But if you look at the Flyers, like, I would say Kevin Hayes, probably not a great contract. And Rasmus Ristolainen, probably not a great contract. But all the other contracts aren't bad. And, like, before you say, like, oh, like, Ryan Ellis, Sean Couturier, those are bad contracts. I mean, if they're healthy, they're great contracts. If they're not healthy enough and they're out for the entire season, you just throw them on LTIR. So, in, like, in my opinion, like, Cap-wise, they're fine. Like, they can make moves. They can make trades still. It's just that they need the right person at the helm. And I think Danny Breer is at least a decent mind, like, an, at least a fresh mind that hopefully can change what's been going on with, you know, the Flyers' front office. But, like, I, I wouldn't say it's as bad as what Mike Greer has to do in San Jose when he's got, like, three, four hefty contracts that he's trying to deal around. Okay. Um, so... Our episode was supposed to be focused on uh, trade deadline, but we've kind of drifted away from that. So let's let's come back into it a little bit. All right, between winners and losers, what's another loser that we have for let's say Anson? Honestly, my outright loser was the Flyers. I'm trying to find another one here. All right, let me let me jump in here with my loser. I want to see your your opinions on this. All right, I thought Gary Bettman was a loser. And you might be like, okay, what kind of stretch is he coming with this? So Gary Bettman infamously said, no team in the NHL is tanking or is actively tanking. Did we not kind of have some clear winners, like contenders and losers from this? Like if you look at the Arizona Coyotes, they made themselves very clear that they have no intention of winning anytime soon. You look at the Anaheim Ducks, no intention of winning anytime soon. You look at the Blue Jackets, you look at the Habs, you look at, um, who else would I include in that list? Chicago. Like These teams have no intention of winning anytime soon. And you have... Teams that are, like, loading up. There's an all-out arms race, right? You have Bruins, you have the Leafs, you know, you have the Lightning. There's that. And then it led to a situation where I feel like it's very clear which conference is stronger than the other. Like, it's, you know what I mean? The East is significantly stronger than the other. And why I count Gary Bettman as a loser in this case is that they made him look really poorly there, did they not? Well, I mean, I would argue that none of the teams that you mentioned are tanking. Like, if we look at the traditional sense of, like, tanking, like, especially in baseball, like, when you look at what the Astros and Cubs did, that's tanking. Like, when you don't even put on a freaking like major league squad like you're just every day your lineup was basically just minor leaguers and you're clearly just going for a hundred losses and just going for the first overall pick like if you're looking at the nhl right uh, like i wouldn't say any team from the very beginning of the season was set up to lose like 60 70 games i think every team like obviously not every team made the strongest effort but every team still looked to like find wins and you know or they had set up so that they can win as many games as they could and then trade off assets at the deadline like i wouldn't call that tanking like that's just can i can i tell you the first pair defense of the arizona coyotes what is it it's patrick nemeth 
and JJ Moser. But what Patrick what Nemeth has with? five points a season. What did they what did they start off the season with? What was their top pairing then? Um definitely Chikrin as one of them. Chikrin, yeah. But everyone knew he was gone. And, and like I'm saying, right? Like at like at the beginning of the season, none of these teams were set up to like, tank the entire season. So I like I kind of can get see where Gary Bentman can, you know, kind of be let off the hook in a sense, you know. Yes, teams have, you know, are they're not tanking at the trade deadline. They're just realizing, okay, we have a really low playoff chance. So now we're focusing on, you know, the draft lottery. And I just don't consider tanking if it's only for like a third or half of the season. Like a tank job is like when you're start to finish legit, like you're you're not even trying to win games. So I'm going to include Jacob Chikrin in this, okay? in this Arizona County's defense. If my math is correct, and if not, it's very it's very close to it. I believe that Connor McDavid had a larger cap hit than the entire Arizona County's defense. Yes, I know. He has the highest highest amount, highest cap hit in the NHL. I get it. But the entire defense, and I'm adding in Jacob Tricker in this, by the way. You're telling me that that wasn't built to tank? Well, I don't think that's how you should quantify it, in my opinion. But, um, like, to me, like, there's still guys like Gosh's Bear. Like, I'm not saying that Arizona wasn't, you know, their, their main goal wasn't going to be like, oh, we're going to lose this entire season. It's going to be a throwaway season right off the bat. Like, I think every team starts off the season thinking that, you know, maybe we can go and run and put up some wins and maybe we can make the playoffs. I love the LA Kings. But, like, they're, they they also probably recognize that given their, where they are in their cycle, they might not be pushing for a playoff spot right away. Like, I, like I, I think if you're Gary Mettman and saying he's a loser at the trade deadline, I, it might be a stretch. But I do agree with you the fact that Clearly, the Western Conference is a loser, given like how obvious there's like, such an influx of player movement going out east, or at least good players going out east. So I can kind of see that a little bit. Anson, what's your thought on that? I mean, like looking at the tanking teams, what's their name? Um, the Habs are only at 16 million to defense score as well. So like... You're telling me they're not trying to tank? Like, I'm saying that tanking is when you start off, like, start off the NHL season and being like, yeah, my our goal is not to win a single game this season. We're, our goal is just to get the first overall pick. That's what I call tanking. I don't think any of these teams were set up specifically to just go for the number one overall pick this season. And so, like, that's why I'm thinking, like, you can let Gary Bettman off the hook. Like, if teams are now trading their assets at the trade deadline and making their team worse, but realistically they're just collecting assets. I think Gary Bettman has like a way out of saying that, Oh, you know, these are teams just, you know, recognizing the probabilities and, you know, just re- recouping their assets. So I, I just, I just don't agree with Olsen saying that Gary Bettman's a loser because now it's clear that teams are tanking. I think this is just natural in sports when a team realizes that they can't make the playoffs, they need to recoup their assets. 
I think, yeah, you're right. I, I, I can understand the argument. Um, I'm also very bothered by the fact that if you look at how many players they have on the IR so they don't have to pay players, that bothers me as well, right? They have 20, almost 27 million, right? And everyone knows about that. And they have so much cap space remaining. Like that team, I would argue, wasn't necessarily built to win now. And, right? And if you look at that, if you look at how many picks they have upcoming, like, unless they really see something, right? If they don't see something, I don't really see where the value is you know what i mean yeah uh, i think it's tough in arizona right now i think that they're still trying to figure out how to build up this team so that it can start competing and yeah given all those draft picks like either they need to start figuring out how they're gonna either use those picks and get good players or like trading those picks and acquiring like guys instead of just drafting them like they need to be able to ice an NHL team. And I, I do agree with you. Like, it's a little bit concerning to see how much they have in the IR and, like, what they're using to just get to the cap floor when they're not really investing the money that they have as part of their salary cap on the actual team that's playing on the ice. I mean, they've got gotten some decent assets for taking on guys. Like, the Shane Goss despair, right? They got, they got a second and seven just for taking him on, and then they just traded him away for a third. Like... Asset management-wise, it's been working, but there still hasn't been a clear product on the ice. So I think that's the whole thing with draft picks too, right? Like, yes, you can have all these assets, but if you don't use your draft picks properly, then there is no return in the end, right? So that's really going to be up to Bill Armstrong and his team to, like, really turn this around in Arizona. And, like, I think we can all agree it's kind of a laughing stock right now in Arizona with the way how they're trying to screw, screw around the cap, right? So... All right, so that was my loser, and I, I thought our good friend Anton here was gonna find some new uh, not some new losers. <laughs> so who's your new loser? Jesus Christ! Just to uh, pile on really quickly, you know how you said McDavid is cost about more than uh, uh, the Coyotes decor everything. If you put uh, the AV of Drysaddle and uh, McDavid, it's 21 million yep uh oh i'm looking the wrong team that's okay i can use the hawks the hawks uh forward core is 21 million and two hundred fifty thousand dollars currently they are see that's a team that i had in, in in the tanking bowl but i'm also cognizant they also traded away patrick yes. kane and, kane and J- jonathan is ir so i you know what like I understand it. If you add those two together, it's what twenty one million <laughs> that that you got to add there. And I would say, you know, their defense is is reasonably paid for what's going on there, right? Um. So out of the box, like how you said, Bearman's a loser. Um, my loser realistically would be the entire story around Jacob Jickerin and like what ended up happening so we go back how like how long ago did we go did we hear that chicken's on the block two years oh at least at, if not more and the amount of teams that he's been linked to uh i can't count on both hands i'll be honest with you 
um, at one point before the deadline, we heard we like were certain, like you were certain that he was going to be a king, right? I don't want to talk about it. That's not even like a, <laughs> that's not even like a, like twisting the knife. It's just like we were certain that he was going to be a king, and then at the end of it, he goes to he goes to the sense, right? Yep, that's fine. Um, he goes to sense for a 2023 first round pick, a 2024 second round pick, and a 2026 second round pick. I think dragging is out for th- like two, three years for this return for the Coyotes is lame. <laughs> lame is not a word I would have used, but okay. It's very sad. Like it's, I don't know. Like that's, this whole saga was very like it, it's a very sad like ended on a very very low note for me. So okay, I actually want your opinions on this. Did it not feel kind of um, anticlimactic? Then maybe because it's a small market. Um, going to Wait, you're Arizona, telling Ottawa. me you couldn't get you couldn't get more than that from anyone else for Jacob. Jekker? So th- so this goes back to a point, right? I think what came out was that that was the only deal where. He, they wouldn't have to retain money or add money, sorry. And that's why they took that deal. If that's true, again, that, that furthers my belief in then tanking. That, that but, furthers, yes. But let's put that aside for now, right? Because that, that's, that's, you know, a hypothesis more than anything. Because I, I don't know, for sure. But did it not feel kind of anti-dramatic at the end? It just felt like, oh, okay. I, I guess he's going there. I guess he's going to Ottawa. Like, I didn't think he was going to Ottawa, but I mean, I guess. Was that just me or, or was it was it also felt by the two of you? But it was more just like, okay, he's going to Ottawa, but like for what? Are we going to get like, is Pinto going back? Is like someone else going back? Like, like, but you look at the return, it's a first, a second, or a first and two seconds or something. Because like, remember, if we listen back to what I suggested would be a proper value for Chikrin, it was like it was a lot more than what actually happened, right? And as a Kings fan, you know, I feel like I do undervalue, I'm sorry, overvalue my prospects, which every fan does. But I don't know. I know I cut you off there, Jeffrey. So, um, I think it's because we don't have a face for the deal. Right, like, because Chicken got traded for just draft picks, right? It's hard to say, like, oh yeah, he, you know, he was traded for this guy specifically, like a top end prospect, and then we can compare and see who gets at the better end of the deal. But because it was just picks, like, I think that's why it hasn't gotten as much fanfare as we thought it was going to be. But I think, like, the, just the landscape of the NHL has changed so much with the cap not rising as much as we thought it would be, teams were still struggling to fit a guy of, the chicken's gone a great deal, but because teams are so close up to the cap, like they couldn't just fit him at just his full salary, like or his full cap, it. they had to get some retention. So I think that's why it ended up being such a lesser value than what we thought it was going to be because we really thought there was going to be a huge bidding war, but then all these teams were like, "Are we really just? Are we really going to use up the rest of our cap space on Jacob Chikrin?" And 
are we assured that we can keep, keep that type of deal for the season after and the season after that, right? Like, I think teams were worried about that. And I think that's why they weren't going to give as much as what we all thought. No, you're right. Like, maybe I do the cap, but at the end of the day, like, you weren't finding a player at 4.6 million who would be just as valuable as he was, right? And it's not a rental. It's for another year or two, I think, no? Yeah, like, it's for another two years. And, like, I, I think Ottawa is probably going to end up on the better side of this deal. I mean, like, in terms of, like, long-term money for them, they don't have so much tied up that they can't, you know, afford to build around Chikrin and, you know, the rest of the score that they have right now. So, like, it, it, they, they, I think they've made a good deal, Ottawa. And, again, like, I agree with you, Anton. Like, Arizona's probably a loser in this deal in that, you know, it's been hyped up that they're going to get, like, a boatload of assets. And in the end, they only get a first and two seconds. And because they didn't retain, there was a good chance that they limited their market and really didn't get the fullest value that they probably could have if they had decided to retain. So it's interesting, that's for sure. How many teams, just give me a number, or just a random number on your top of your head. How many teams do you think went, wait, what? That's it? After that deal was announced? Oh, like 18, 20. 30. <laughs> I don't know what 30, you know. There are some teams that could not afford that trade any way or another. <laughs> just cap-wise. But yeah, I, th- I think a, a large amount of teams went, huh? And I, I think and a, a good amount of teams also went, wait, what? My deal was better than what they accepted. What the heck? A hundred percent. But, I mean, if Arizona was saying, like, oh, we can't retain, and, like, realistically, right, they only have two retention spots available, and they used it on Patrick Kane and Nick Bustay, which, uh, fine. At least they got some assets for it, but... Like, if they retained on Chikrin, for, that's going to tie them up for about this year plus two more years. That really only gives them one final retention spot. And, like, that means they can only re- realistically use them on rentals. That might kind of hamstring them a little bit in other trades that they were looking to retain to get some value back. So, maybe that's why, like, I, I get it. Maybe if you're Bill Armstrong where you don't want to retain, but... If you're not going to retain and this is the value you're, get, you're going to get, maybe you're you're like, okay, maybe we should retain. Um, aren't you only allowed three retention spots a year? That is correct. Three retention spots in total. So they have Bukestad, Kane, and OEL, who is there for a while. Right. So technically speaking, they were out of spots. I, I don't know when the, the timeline was, but if you're looking at it right now, they're out of spots for the season. Yeah. Um, so I guess they want to save for Bukestad, right? But when we look at another loser, do you consider the Vancouver Canucks a loser solely for that Philip Ronick deal? Oh, you were looking at that. I was looking at the JT Miller trade that fell apart. So what the heck are the Vancouver Canucks? I've had this chat before, I'm pretty sure. Money Puck has a nice 0% chance of living in the playoffs. Um, team's falling apart, and it was along the lines of, okay, so 
I understood what they were doing, right? I understood they traded away Bo Horvat to get Bovillier, Rocky, and a first. I get it. They traded away Will Lockwood and a seventh for Vitelli Kravtsov. I get it. You buy low, you might as well. You know, if you plan a tank, that's fine. So then you trade away Luke Shen for a third round pick. I get it. You know, you're tanking. He's an expiring deal. I get it. Then he they just casually drop that first round pick they got from the Islanders. A second round pick, their own second round pick, for Philip Ronick and a 2023rd fourth. The condition on the Islanders is that it's top 12 protected. I mean, I get it in the sense like he's a, like Ronick is a good player, but that's not what a team trying to retool looks like, especially if you don't trade JT Miller and have teams call you and offer you trades and your response isn't, yeah, sure, I will do the trade. It's, I want ready NHL players now, right? And that mindset tells me at least, you believe you can compete right now. But if you look at the standings, you clearly aren't. And again, also, because I had to do it, apparently this is my new thing now. How did Niels Hoglander stay on that team and not get traded? Free Niels. <laughs> I'm pretty sure uh, they've just kind of forgot about him at this point. <laughs> Free Niels. But at this point, I wouldn't be surprised if someone called the Canucks and was like, we will trade you a fourth round pick for Niels Hoglander. And you know what they said to the other team? We want an NHL ready made player right now. <laughs> I'm not as down on the Hronik trade, I would say. Like, if you've identified and think, like, Hronik is going to be your guy that's going to play with, like, Quinn Hughes, I mean, that, like, how what you traded for a guy that could potentially be, like, a top parent defenseman, I'm not as angry about, like... I agree this season is probably like a lost season for the Vancouver Canucks. But, I mean, they didn't have Thatcher Demko for a long part of the season. And if you really think that next year is going to be a year where you can really compete, I think it's not the worst thing in the world to, you know, start trying to set yourself up for next season, especially if the acquisition cost was that low for Philip Ronick. Um... Obviously, the problem is going to be like how are they going to make space for next year? I think they're like really are tight up to the cap. I mean, if this Besser deal is ever going to happen, either like that's another question that we have to figure out. And I don't know, like this, I don't know if they're a loser. I think it's going to be one of those like they're a TBD team. Like, what's going to happen next year is really going to determine whether they were a winner or a loser at this trade deadline. Isn't Hronik a more offensive defenseman as well? Uh, I think he is, but at least he can play like somewhat defense, unlike Quinn Hughes, who can play like zero defense. Yeah, but you're putting, let's just say, one and a half of offense on a defense pairing. So are you going to have five forwards? <laughs> well, like, I'm not, like, I think that Quinn Hughes is a special player, right? Like, I think he is. Like, there's a reason why Vancouver signed him long-term first over Pedersen, because I think they recognize that Quinn Hughes is more... It's it's harder to find these 
offensive defenseman that can take over games from the back end. So, like, if you can figure out a way to, like, even if Kronik doesn't end up playing with um, Quinn Hughes, like, I think Kronik's kind of shown that he's at least, like, a low-end, top-pairing type of guy. And, like, if you end up playing, like, Hughes and Kronik on two separate pairings, like, that gives you a solid top four, and you just put guys that can play with them. Like, I, I, don't, I don't hate it, but I think overall, in the context of this team, it's it it's kind it's a confusing move, given what's happened around them, right? With the Bo Horvat thing, with the JT Miller thing, with just how the season's gone. Like, uh, like I'm I'm I wouldn't rule them out as a team, them being a team that's going to compete for the playoffs next season. That's all I'm going to say. I think part of the other question marks I have for this team is, you have Quinn Hughes, you have Philip Ronick, right? You have Ethan Bear. You have Travis Dermott as your RFAs this season. So, and assumption is you resign them as four. You have Ekman Larson. You have Tyler Meyer still. Is that the six that you want to go with for next year? I think that you're not qualifying Dermott or Bear, in my opinion. Like, I think you need to make some cap savings somewhere. So, you're going to just get like a guy who's like on a entry level deal or like a like a two way deal in my well, opinion. Okay, the assumption is you probably bring back Bear, right? You just traded for him, right? Uh, uh, I mean Bear like that was kind of just like he was like a free player to get because Carolina had a backlog. But like, you know, you you gotta go to your owner and be like, yeah, yeah, or your, you know, whatever team owner or president and be like, I know we just traded a fourth for him, but we don't want to bring him back. Are you going to bring back Ethan Bear at two point two million? You kind of have to. You not? Are you not kind of just screwed there? Like if I guess it's not as bad as if you, you know, like Chuck Fletcher on a fair, on a first. You know, what I mean, it was Russell Lennon. I get that. Yeah, maybe not as bad as that, but it's not great. Like I think you're kind of stuck. Maybe if that kind of answers your question, like you don't, like you're kind of stuck with what your top six is going to be for next season, right? Like Hughes, Hronick, Myers, Ekman, Larson. I'm going to say one of Dermot or Bear. I don't think both are coming back. But I think you're you're stuck with them, right? Like you, um, there's unless a major trade's going to happen where you're going to be able to dump Tyler Myers' contract, which is like the likeliest of the five or six defensemen that you have signed, like potentially signed for next season. Like you're kind of stuck with that. And I, I think you're okay with it. Like I'm not mad like it would be a middling like middle of the pack defensive group which sometimes it's not bad and sometimes it's not that great either but you know it's something you can live with and if you have guys like Pedersen, JT Miller up top, Demko who's kind of rounding into form since he's been back from injury like it could be a playoff team like I I don't hate it but I don't love it. My guess is probably Breezeball right he's probably signed I think he's signed for the year so for next year too, so I assume it'd be Breezeball. All right, let's let's flip the script a little, and let's look at some positives. Can we get some winners here, Jeffrey? I don't want to be just to go for the easy pick, but you have to say the Bruins are a clear winner. I would say in like the whole, you know, trade deadline thing. Like, I, I mean, I think the Orloff deal happened 
earlier than I think. I don't even know. Did we talk about the Orloff deal in our last episode there, Olsen? Even if we did, Jeffrey, what was the deal? Let me try to pull it up here. But um, I think it was like Orloff and Hathaway and there was some retention for like Craig Smith and a bunch of picks. Like there was that deal. I think the Tyler Bertuzzi deal was kind of out of the blue, but when they realized like, you know, Taylor Hall and Nick Felino were going to be out and they needed some add some secondary scoring, I think if you're talking about a guy that's gonna slide right into the way Boston was gonna play, I think he was perfect. Um like I think this was a team what that was like okay, we have a certain areas that we need to fix. And they went out, got it, and they look like they still look like the greatest team the NHL has seen in a long time. Like this team I think got to fifty wins faster than any other team in NHL history. They're on track to have the highest point totals ever. I mean, like this team just is it is like a they're never easy out. Like most teams you can be like, oh yeah, this is gonna be their weakness. If you look at this Bruins team like from like one to twenty, I I, I think you struggle to figure out what their weak spot is. Like this team is now like I think one to twenty the deepest team, probably the best team. And I'm really excited to watch them get kicked out of the playoffs in the first round because that's how the NHL works. I don't know. You're right. I don't see a weakness on this team. But at the same time, often the team that we don't see weakness on is the team that gets knocked out first. And for a team that's kind of put everything into this year, right? Like I think that's a fair assessment to make is that they put everything into this year. You look at Bergeron, you look at Krejci, you look at their pick situation. Everything's in for this year. I think their injuries might be one place. I'm just wondering if that is their undoing, right? Lindholm's hurt, but he's day-to-day. Taylor Hall's hurt, but he's supposed to come back to the playoffs. Like, this team is... a That's a worry for me in the sense, if I was going to find a weakness for this team, was that if they come right before the playoffs, because that's the only time they can join the team, are they going to be rusty? I I agree with you on that point in the sense that, yeah, like Hull and Felino, if they're not coming to the playoffs, you know, they've been off for basically a month, right? But, like, you look at this team and who's kind of covering, like, who's kind of, like, holding onto the spot while they're off. Like, what? Like, Tyler Bertuzzi's kind of taking over the spot for Taylor Hall. like. That's a pretty good replacement. That like even if Taylor Hall takes like a game or two to really get back into the groove, like you got Tyler Bertuzzi, a guy who scored thirty goals like a couple years ago. Like even Nick Foligno, I think he's a guy that is fairly easily replaceable. Like if he has a bad game, I think if you're the Bruins, you're okay having him send the press box maybe for you know get a couple more practices in before getting into the game and having. I don't know, like a AJ Greer or Thomas Noshek or a Grant Hathaway take a spot like for a couple of games. Like I, I like they've got depth too. Like this isn't a team that's gonna be like, oh, one guy goes down and they have no one to replace him. Like they've got fairly good depth that I, I'm not as worried about injuries. Like maybe it might be rust, but I think they've got enough depth that can kind of cover for guys who might have an off night here or there. Anson, who's your winner? 
I have two, but I'll just choose the easy one, which is uh, for me, I think it's the Rangers. Simply put. I uh, I kind of hate you because that's who I had. Okay, you want the Rangers? I have someone else. No, no, I have someone else too. Okay. Uh, I'll take the Rangers. Anyways, uh, they got Tarasenko. They got Kane. And for the quality of players that you got uh, in exchange for what you gave up, spectacular. Um, you gave up... Oh, no. Let's see. You, you know... Kratzoff, he didn't want to be with the team. You got rid of him for Lockwood in the seventh. Cool. But just looking at it, just reading the top six, and I don't even know this is top six. Just off of Cap Friendly. Um, educated guess. Panarin, Zibanejad, Kreider, Trocek, Tarasenko, Kane. Possibly Goodrow, but I don't know where you put him in that top six. Um, I'd say that's a pretty good top six forward. And if it's different, I don't know how you can be better. Can I argue that they didn't need to go all in on forward when realistically they've been having some more problems defensively? Like, Tarasenko and Kane are not going to, are basically a pylon on defense at this point. And I think this team, yes, they've always been struggling to find that right winger to put on the to- in the top six. And they've got two great options in their top six now to put on the right side. But I would say, like, defensively, they didn't make the improvements that they probably should have made. Like, that's why, like, even last episode, I thought Nico Mikola is going to be a very important part of that deal, in that Tarasenko deal, because I think they actually really need a guy like him playing in the bottom six, but they also needed to add maybe a little bit more to their defense. Like, I, I, I'd be a little bit concerned defensively. I wouldn't call them an outright winner. Yes, they've, in terms of the assets that they had to give up to get guys like Tarasenko and Kane, it's been good. But at the same time, I don't know if they have improved so much that I would call them like an outright, you know, Stanley Cup favorite. I would still call them that. I mean, I'm looking at their, like, the forward core. Um, one through four, I'm actually very confident in throwing them out and going, you know what, none of these guys are just going to, you know, kill time, kill 45 seconds, a minute, whatever. Any of these lines can go and actually score and be productive. I get it. Defense, cool. But when we're looking strictly at this right now, I, I think they can win 6-5. And if you're winning, you're winning. I think, yeah, I think my issue with the, the Rangers is the defense, right? The defense is, it is concerning. Um, and I think another thing I'd be kind of concerned with is once you get past maybe the top six, right? That's a very untested group there. Right, your bottom six is very untested, and I get it. In your playoff hockey, you don't really need a lot of depth, but that's a very young group that you're asking to shoulder the load on. That I'm not always completely confident that's going to be effective. And I think Jeffrey makes a good point. That first line of Panarin, Zibanejad, and Tarasenko, um, 
I'm not the most confident defensively, right? Like Panarin, amazing forward, offensive forward, amazing t- uh, forward in Tarasenko. I'm a little nervous asking that t- that group to play defense. Like I'm concerned with the fact that their potential shutdown line is going to have to be a VC Goudreau and Tyler Mott. Like this is a team that. Like, they're going to have to play those three guys because they don't have any other penalty killers. Like, that is concerning. Like, yes, Trocek, Zimbin, and Jack Kreider, those are guys who can, you know, play on the other side of the puck, at least, like, capable. But you've got so many offensive guys. You've got your kid line. But again, your kid line's not going to be able to, you know, be a matchup line. So you've got three, like, forward lines that are, just go 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 offense and you have one line that you can realistically kind of trust defensively it's a bit worrisome once you get into the playoffs so i'm a little bit concerned but then again like anson if you say that if they would come in every game six five they probably could and you know they do have shesterkin so they they, they're, they're definitely a better team but i just would caution in saying that they're a favorite now as harsh as we've, I, at least for me, at least I've made it sound about this team, I would still solidly put them at at a B level, along with my winner, the Toronto Maple Leafs. Oh, I know, I know, we're getting a little spicy here, but the issue that I think people have had with this Leafs team was this team is not tough enough, right? The old Leafs that were looking way back when they had that goon line of Colton Norr, Fraser McLaren, and I want to say there's someone on the mark. I don't know, someone else. There's someone else. They had a goon line. That team and that type of hockey's long gone. And I think there was a bit of an overcompensation when Kyle Dubas started the job, where it was like, you know, there's no, there's no value in toughness. It's Or at least the way of valuing toughness was it was way overrated and you saw in the playoffs that it was just like they would get destroyed and that team then went okay fine we'll put some toughness in and then the issue was that they were very top heavy on the forwards right you had your matthews nylander barner you know so on so on so on i think they've got toughness in a luke shen they've got toughness in a jake mccabe and then they address that bottom six or, you know, issue by getting guys like Sam Lafferty, you know, guys like um, Nola Chari, just guys who are going to play your bottom six, but are very effective at doing that. I think they've got a pretty solid top bottom six, like for what you need them to be very solid. And then the top six is, I'm not loving the fact that, Kerfoot is your first line left winger. But if Sidney Crosby and Chris Kunitz is your prime example of you just need someone who can keep up with your star players. If Kerfoot can keep up, I that, that's a solid top six as well. And if there is an issue, replace Kerfoot and Bunting and you just have the magic you have last year. And don't forget, Ryan O'Reilly's going to be back for the playoffs. He's probably going to take the – probably going to 
replace Alex Steves and then you switch it with Sam Lafferty and Alex Steves. So you get, you know, Lafferty, O'Reilly, and Yarn Croak as your third line, which is pretty solid. Tell me how I'm wrong. I I don't want to say you're wrong. Like, I think what Dubas has done this trade deadline has he just been like, here's Sheldon Keith, here is a million tools. Just find whichever ones work for you, and that's gonna be your team. Like they like like if you like you if you look at their forward group, I could see like a hundred potential combinations which you can kind of ice out. Like Matthews, Marner, Tavares, Nylander, like all of those could be interchangeable. Like like you can put any of those two together and then who knows who you throw as the third guy on your line. Like even when we saw against the Oilers uh last night where they ran eleven forwards, you had lines of like Nylander, Tavares, Matthews coming out at one point. And like the lines were just all over the place. Like I think Dubes has kind of realized like, you know what, like I all I can do is give my team the best chance possible. It's just gonna be up to Keith to figure out the lines and figure out the st- strategy and it's kind of looking like it can work. Um defensively they've got a a whole bunch of options again too. It, I I almost feel like he almost went overboard. Like the Leafs are going to have to carry nine defensemen for the rest of the season. Like it's a little bit ridiculous, but they any of the guys are none of them are guys they can put on waivers and make sure they don't get claimed. Like these are all guys that are NHL players. Even their forward group, there's not really a guy like you can really realistically drop. Like I think you know the Leafs are a winner. It just will it work right? Like. They've added what they feel like they need to make the playoffs. It's just that can they do it come April and May, right? So we'll see. When you put it like that, right? Like that just sounds like Kyle Dubas did his job, right? Here's all these tools. Like you said, here's all these tools. Now that's my job. Now it's your job, Sheldon Keith, to put it all together. Like the only thing he can do more is, uh, be the coach himself. He can't do anything else if he's Dubas. I, I will say I did hate the fact that he had to make all these moves just so he can bring Matt Murray back into the fold and not just let Matt Murray troll an LTIR. Like, uh, it, that's the one thing I think that sucks. Okay, who's your uh, game one starter? Is it not Simsonov? Hey, Allison? I, I think you look at you look at if you have home ice advantage. If I remember correctly, Samsonov has some amazing splits, right? I, I get that, but at the same time, you gotta play your better goalie. And I think it's fair. It's been like I know Matt Murray's been injured, and maybe it'll take him a couple of games to kind of get back into his groove. But I, I want to say Samsonov's taken over the crease. I would say like like his num- underlying numbers are a lot better. I feel. The team plays a lot better in front of him over Murray. Like, Murray's just too, like, he's so out of place sometimes that I find it hard for the Leafs to kind of trust him. Like, don't get me wrong. I think he's a perfect fallback option if Samsonov, like, falters a little bit. But I think your game one starter has to be him, right? Like, you're not, you're not bringing in Matt Murray here, I feel like. Just because just I'm annoyed, okay? Um, so... This is again, if it's a home there, yeah, Samsonov. This season away, he has been six, six, and one. 
301 GA, 900 save percentage. Home, he is 17 2 0, 201 GA, 926. And the assumption is he's playing the Lightning, right? Versus the Atlantic Division, he is 5 3 1 with a 287 and 0.893 save percentage. Outside his own division, he's 18 5 0 with a 225 GA and a 922 save percentage. Just, just, just some food for thought. You know what I mean? Can I uh, add something here? Um, has uh, Ilya Samsonov faced the Lightning this season? He has not. <laughs> That's going to be fun. <laughs> I mean, I don't think they've played a lot so far. Like, they haven't played... I think they still have got a couple games left, so we'll have to see. But, yeah, like, if he gets lit up by the Lightning in, like, his one matchup this season on April 11th, then maybe it's like, maybe we'll look at Matt Murray, but I think you got to go with your better goalie. And I mean, things can change in the last, you know, 20 games of the season. But to me, if we were to say right now, Anson, like I would say Ilya Samsonov is a game one starter. The only reason I'm saying that is because Samsonov has his career high in games is 44. If you don't bring back Matt Murray, um, at the moment, Samsonov is already at 33. Like, you're going to ride him all the way to 82 and then um, start him on the first game. Like, this guy's going to be dropped dead on your first game. He's going to be exhausted. Like, yeah, you don't want to bring back Matt Murray, but he gives you more experience. He gives you a split, like a, a night off here and there, worst case. And, like, I mean, like, looking at it as like a playoff perspective, he's won two cups, so he might know a thing or two about playoffs. Well, I think to accommodate for that, what the Leafs can do is once you've decided Samsonov is your guy and you have decided, that's basically decided that you're playing the Lightning, you have Murray play most of your games. You know, have Murray basically play as your starter and have some games sprinkling, maybe a bit more in a backup role for Samsonov, just to make sure he's well-rested. You know I mean? He's going to break his all-time high of, I think you said, 42 or 43 games, right, Anson? Uh, All-time is 44. He's currently 44. at 33. Yeah, yeah, 44. So, you know, you, you pencil him in for 55 games, including the playoffs, 60. You know, I think he can handle that. Around, you know, I know it's a lot more. But playoffs, playoffs, you know, your adrenaline's high. You, you kind of deal with it. But you kind of play him kind of as a backup and use that period where you know who you're facing. You know what's going to happen. Play him as a backup. Get him that rest ahead of time. And then maybe the last, like, I don't know, five games, play him all again and kind of just get him back into the sharpness he needs to be. Is that possibly something they can do? It's possible, but like that's why I think you had to bring back Matt Murray. Whether it's like your situation or mine, where it's just you need a guy, and like I know Joseph Wall's been playing pretty well, but it's like, eh, I think I'd rather you can't, have you Matt can't Murray. Put, put, yeah, you can't have Wall play, can you? Like that, that doesn't make sense. No. So, like, yeah, like you're not for Matt Murray, but you kind of you're in a bind where you kind of have to run the tandem of. Samsonov, Murray, 
no matter how you do things. Yeah, you're right. All right. So we went through our winners, we went through our losers. Jeffrey, did you have some time to put some some geo with Jeffrey today? No, I did not because I knew this was going to be a long episode. And this has been over an hour. It's been one of our longer episodes, actually. So you know what? Let's go. So uh, no, no, no geography of geo until in two weeks' time when we have a hopefully a lighter schedule on the pod. I mean, no more two-hour episodes on this podcast anywhere. I'll, I'll say that. We're getting old. We can't do two-hour episodes. Um, so with that, let's have some final thoughts and uh, wrap it up then. I can start. Um, that trade downline was a doozy. Um, I feel like I'm still trying to figure out where everyone's playing because the, some guys have moved and I've just been like, oh, wait, they're there now. Like, where is Dryden Hunt these days type of thing? Like, it, it's been a doozy. I think I'm still going to need like another week to figure out where everyone is. But, you know, we're coming down to home stretch. I think the West is pretty much figured out. But at least it's nice that there's still some competition left. <coughs> the East is still kind of going crazy right now. So we'll just ha- kind of have to see. And, uh, yeah, I mean, we're like what, less than 20 games before the end of the NHL season. We've got maybe two, three more episodes before we hit the playoffs. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be exciting. Alrighty, Anton? Um, I know we're wrapping up, but I'm just going to... We had like winners, losers. I'm going to have like a what the fuck are you doing? Um, we went over the... You have three retention spots for dead cap uh, per team. The Preds is retaining on Ekholm for... I'm sure you've heard, 4%. But the 4% isn't only for this year. It's for the next three years. So they're retaining, they're using one of their spots for $250,000 for the next three years. To answer your question on why they were doing that, I believe the Oilers don't have space. <laughs> they kind of had to. I know, but it's like a Preds. You could have, if you're using one of those spots, can you use more of that? <laughs> I think the Preds are one of the only teams I have never retained, ever. Like, they're also one of the teams that never gave, like, no trade clauses. They're a team that never did trades where the salaries were different from the cap hits. Like, I think that might be, like, the reason why that they're okay with it. Like, they're not going to be a team that retains. So, from what you just told me, it sounds like they've never used it, and they just used it for the first time. They don't own the rules. Okay, I don't think it's that. I'm sure they have... They have folks who understand the rules, but... Yes. But I think it's just weird that they return 4%. And they're like, yeah, okay, no problem. Yeah, I know. But like, I think they're also a team like, oh, we're not going to be retaining much even in the future anyway. So they're like, okay, it's fine if we use a slot for 4.7 because we're not going to be retaining on any other deals. So. Yeah, it just stuck out. I was like, I guess. It's a very, like, ah, sure. Anyways... Um... Do you have a final thought or was that going to be your final thought? No, that can be my final thought. I can live with that. Okay. Um, my final thought is it hurts me as a Kings fan, but I understand it. And uh, free hug. And with that, we'll see you in a couple weeks. Bye! Thanks for listening to the Bag Fucks Podcast, part of the National Podcast Network. You want to complain about us? You can tweet us at BOP underscore POD on Twitter. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you soon.